Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. Arizona's hospitalizations from coronavirus have doubled in the last month as high daily case counts continue. This week, we hear what doctors and hospital administrators are feeling during the surge. State data show that for weeks, hospitals across the state have been running short on beds for COVID-19 patients. Inpatient beds, especially ICU beds, have been hovering at about 90% full. The state health department set up what is called the Arizona Surge Line, which allows hospitals to transfer patients between themselves when they don't have sufficient resources to care for someone. We contacted ADHS to have them explain more about how the surge line has been working, but they turned down our interview request. Jennifer Schomburg is CEO of Northwest Medical Center, which operates Northwest Hospital in Tucson and the Oro Valley Hospital. So we have utilized um, the surge line um, through the state uh, several times. We've received patients through the surge line, and we've also utilized the surge line to transfer some patients out. Do you know if they were just transferred, for example, to another hospital in Pima County, or did they end up going to Phoenix, or we've even heard rumors of out-of-state? Do you know what happened to those patients you transferred out? Sure. Um, while we don't uh, we don't actually decide where the patients are going to go, um, that's determined by the surge line and certainly the capacity at the other hospitals um, that are receiving those patients. Our patients have um, stayed either within our county, have gone to Maricopa County, um, but to my knowledge, we have not had any of our patients go out of state. And you said you have received patients also through the surge line. Were they all from this area or did they come down from Maricopa? You know, we've received some patients from Maricopa, some from Yuma. Um, we worked quite a bit with the um, Navajo Nation. So we've received patients uh, kind of from a smattering of places throughout Arizona. When we first began all of this in Arizona, one of the things the governor did was shut down non-emergency, what some people call elective surgeries for a while. Then he allowed them to, to get going again. Have you all had to back off on the non-emergency surgeries again, or have you been able to keep them going once you were allowed to? We look at our cases every single day. Um, ICU bed availability, um, the type of nurses um, for the care that the patient's gonna need after they have surgery. We need to have respiratory therapists, different people and types of staff available after those surgeries. So um, we evaluate that every single day and then have had at times to either move the patient to later in the day or really reschedule the patient to later in the week. We have not had to cancel very many uh, surgeries that are emergent or urgent. We have had to bump um, some of our electives though. Have you all reached a point which people would refer to as full capacity yet, or do you still have a little room there at the top? You know, we've maintained capacity um, throughout this entire time. We received our first COVID patient on March 13th and have really, um, I think the team has done a wonderful job working within our system. So that's Northwest Medical Center and Aura Valley Hospital, working to ensure that we have a space for all the patients um, that we are needing to take care of at any given time. But we have never truly been at capacity where we've had to go on um, like emergency diversion or any of those pieces. 
we have had to deny specific transfers coming through the surge line or other hospitals if I didn't have that type of bed, like an ICU bed available or an ICU nurse available. We're talking about, you mentioned ICU nurses, the critical care team. There are a lot of doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals behind all of this. How's the staff doing? It's got to be stressful and, and more long hours than normal. You know, you're absolutely right. Um, the team has done a wonderful job. What amazes me is that they continue to show up. You know, we have patients uh, waiting for them every day, our nurses, our doctors, housekeepers, or materials management folks who are making sure that we have all the supplies that we need. Um, everybody on the team continues to show up. They are tired, um, but I think that they continue to rally every day and really work very nicely together. We have worked with some nurses from what's called a DMAT team um, through FEMA. And so far we've had four critical care nurses that have come through them and one respiratory therapist. Um, so that's been really nice um, to give our team just a little bit of relief. Um, but outside of that, our team has taken care of the patients um, the entire time. Have, have any of your staff gotten sick with COVID? Obviously, they're exposed to it a lot and working long hours. You just get run down. You know, unfortunately, we have had um, some, of, some of our staff um, test positive for COVID. You know, although we are doing everything within our ability to keep our staff um, protected and safe every single day, one of the tricky things about this virus is that it can be passed by asymptomatic people or by people that have absolutely no symptoms. You wouldn't know that they were sick. So it's been very difficult um, really for us to determine, did some of our staff, um, when they tested positive, were they exposed here or were they exposed when they went to the grocery store or when they were out and about um, celebrating the holidays, those types of things. We've heard the phrase crisis care uh, used a couple of times in recent weeks as capacity in hospitals across the state ha have gone up. What is crisis care for those of us who are not in the healthcare industry? So there are six different um, points of crisis care. So one is where the healthcare facility, so in our case, that would be our hospital, is deemed unsafe or has to close. Um, so that'd be something like if you have a fire in the hospital, right? <laughs> um, so we are not at that point um, where we're utilizing non-patient care areas for patient care. We're not at that point either where you're, you don't have enough trained staff or they're unable to care for the volume of patients, where critical supplies are lacking, we're good on critical supplies, where we're having to reallocate what's called life-sustaining resources. So think about like ventilators or CRRT machines. And then last but not least, uh, patient transfer isn't possible. So again, those six different components. Um, so we are not having any issues with those. So we are not at a crisis standard of care. We're in what you would call a contingency standard of care. So for the patients at this point, they don't see any difference. Uh, maybe it's a little more crowded when they come in, but day to day, if a patient came in in January, versus now, care-wise, they would see no difference because you're in contingency, not crisis. There's a little bit of a difference because we are having all of our staff and our patients wear masks at all times. So that's certainly a big difference for people. 
Um, we also are not allowing visitors in at all times. Um, so there are some exceptions that are made to that, but the majority of the time we don't allow visitors in. And that has been a big change for our patients. I wanna come back to the staff for a minute. It sounds like they have been running at full speed since sometime around March. Uh, how long do you think they can keep running at this rate? You know, I we have done um, quite a bit for our staff, um, ensuring that they're, um, you know, really able to take breaks. Um, Oro Valley Hospital has a really um, good psychiatric program there, and so we have um, psychiatric professionals that are on standby, standby that are available for counseling for our staff should they need it. The teams have come together, um, I think, to say thank you. We recognize people within our organization every single day. Um, you know, I believe so much in the strength of this team and of our staff, um, not only in their clinical excellence, but also, you know, just their heart. And, you know, they, they put their heart and soul into the work that they do. Um, I think that we're doing okay for right now as far as how long can we continue with this. And I don't know that anybody can answer that. Um, I feel like we kind of have the tools in our tool belt to do this. We've just got to keep going. Well, great. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was Jennifer Schomburg, CEO of Northwest Medical Center in Tucson. We also talked with Catherine Dusnip, a nurse who oversees the emergency rooms at Northwest Hospital. In the last two weeks, with the, with the increase of patients that have come in, it's a labor-intensive job. It always has been, um, but it's a lot of work. The patients are a little bit heavier as far as acuity-wise when they're coming in and making sure that we're keeping everybody separated and safe and all the safety measures put into place. She says COVID-19 patients tend to stay in the hospitals longer. It's a different kind of taking care of patients and a different amount of stress that is put on staff because we're, we're used to the older population, you know, and geriatric population here in Tucson. That's, that's what lives here. We're at that retirement community. And some of the younger that are coming through that are really sick, those are just, it's always hard. Even as an ED nurse that I've been for over 15 years, and it's, it's a long, hard day. And while we get breaks and things like that, it's more of that, since it's a community thing, you're always worried about your family too as well. There's always that just in the back of your mind on top of it instead of just doing the work. And there's no, there's no real reprieve right now. That's the other thing that's really hard for everybody is normally we get that little break and we're in, we all know that we're in this for a while, that we're going to be doing this for a while. Deusnip says her staff has been handling it well, but still urges the public to take caution. Just to be conscientious of the things that we're doing and, you know, make sure you're wearing your mask and make sure that you're, you're not going out and doing silly things that just don't need to be happening right now. And while I say we're seeing sicker patients come through the ED, it's not always those COVID patients that are the sickest that are coming in. One of the things that we really have seen is that people are not coming to the ED 
as early as they used to. So I may have a sicker patient that normally is doing pretty, you know, they do okay job at home with their CHF or their diabetes or any of those chronic conditions or renal failure. But now they're waiting, you know, another week and another week waiting on a patient like that can be a pretty significant change. I think that's some of the biggest thing is there's such a a fear of coming to the ED and getting those treatments that are absolutely 100% necessary. While we're dealing with COVID, all these other things are still here just as prevalent. Local medical professionals are reiterating the call for people to wear masks as they deal with a surge of COVID-19 cases. State Senator Victoria Steele of Tucson visited Tucson Medical Center Tuesday to talk with medical staff about how they're handling the pandemic. Steele said she visited TMC at the invitation of the hospital after she wrote on social media about her concerns with the state allowing hospitals to implement triage standards of care if needed. She talked with the Buzz producer Ariana Brocious about her visit. They're not at complete capacity, but it could happen. So I I talked to the doctors and the nurses that were just you know, I, I asked them if they would um, just tell me, what, what do you want from people? What do you want from the people of Tucson? And they said, wear a mask. For God's sakes, put a mask on. Wear a mask. This is easy for you. Wear a mask. And I was just like, that, that's all they wanted. That's all they wanted. And then I said, what do you want from the governor? And what do you want from the state Senate? And they said, we want you to put a mask mandate on. Tell people they have to wear masks. Did they talk about transferring patients? That's one thing we've heard that there have been, partly through the surge line, patients sent to Phoenix and in a couple cases even out of state. Did TMC talk at all about whether they're having to do that? They told me they are not having to do that. Now they have done it. But at this point, they are not having to do that. Um, it, it's very important that they know that they are not rationing health care, that um, the state, uh, gosh, right now I can't remember what it's called, but it's it's the system that if they have to go to it, it's a triage type of, of situation. They are not there. They're glad that such a system exists because if you need it, you don't want to create that. You don't want to build that system on the fly. You want to have a system that tells you what to do and how to do it um, already set up and it's created by doctors. So we know that, that we're prepared, but at this point, they are not having to ration health care at TMC. Coming away from this visit, if you have a message that you plan to deliver to the governor on their behalf and what what that would be. I want to thank him for bringing in the medical personnel to help um, staff those those ICU beds that we might need. And the state will pay for that. 
I, and, the, and the most important thing is I would reiterate what I heard from doctors and nurses today for an hour. Please wear your mask. Tell the governor we want a mandate for masks in Arizona. We need that. Please tell them that for us. And there's no stronger measures or stricter things that, that you or they would suggest to the governor? No. That's it. They said we were doing good when we were shut down and we opened too soon. Victoria Steele is a Democrat running for re-election in District 9 in the Arizona Senate. Steele recorded an interview with Dr. Clifford Martin, an infectious disease physician and head of medical staff at TMC. TMC has declined interview requests from AZPM in recent weeks. Martin said the governor's decisions made early on, like the shutdown, were the right steps. And unfortunately, we opened things up so quickly without appropriate baby steps mm -hmm. to introduce regular life again, without mask requirements, without really effective education about what it really means to social distance and why it was important. So we backtracked very quickly. I think a lot of us had hoped that the hot, dry weather in Arizona would help some of the spread that we see decrease. But I think in retrospect, we realized that when it gets hot in Arizona, everyone goes indoors. They don't go outdoors like they do in the north. And so we're all together without the appropriate education, without the appropriate knowledge of how this disease is spread and how contagious it is. And it just led to things skyrocketing. Martin lauded the efforts of the healthcare workers at his hospital. But I also know they're also scared because they have to go home to their kids. They have elderly parents like I do. They are working night and day to take care of the people that come through here with COVID. And they are also a little bit bruised because when you go out into the general community and you recognize that if you look outside, you look at restaurants, you look at stores, you go to the mall, you, you don't see the impact of this disease like you would if we were in a war and bombs were dropping. Mm -hmm. You don't see sick people walking around the street. So there's a disconnect with what people out in the community are experiencing and what our healthcare workers here on the front line are experiencing. And I think they're, I think they're hurt because they see people making decisions that are making their jobs worse because when the ER is full, they have to work harder. TMC, Northwest, and others will be receiving relief workers soon to help with staffing during the surge of cases. Medical professionals in hospitals are not the only ones seeing patients with the novel coronavirus. Roy Lowenstein is an outpatient internal medicine doctor with Arizona Community Physicians in Tucson. He diagnoses COVID-19 and counsels patients who contract the disease. So we talk about the natural history of what can happen with coronavirus. And usually what happens is they feel bad. And then on average, around day seven is when they might develop increasing shortness of breath. And if that happens, they need to go to the hospital. But we try to manage it as, as we can using other medicines like Tylenol and ibuprofen and time. Uh, right now, I'm not able to give them something that prevents them from going to the hospital or significantly affects the course of their disease. Obviously, this is one of those very scary diagnoses. How do people deal with it? There's a lot of education. I mean, a lot of people, especially over age 70, thinks it's a death sentence. And on average, it isn't. Um, and a lot of people, you know, younger than 40 think it's, think it's not a big deal. And that's not true either. So on average, people do okay, and they, they don't end up in the hospital. Um, so it's just re reassuring them 
And then a lot of it is also to make sure that they don't pass it on to other people and, and do what we can to try to prevent transmission of the coronavirus. Are you encouraged by any of the therapies out there that have been found so far? Yes. Uh, clearly, dexamethasone has been the, the biggest difference. I mean, that's actually been shown to decrease mortality. Um, it's plentiful. It's cheap. Um, we are understanding how to treat it better, not just the dexamethasone. There are some other things. You know, we, we, we realize that uh, the issue with the blood clotting, um, and it looks like this has had a significant effect in the mortality of people with coronavirus. So the, the initial numbers about, uh, you know, death rate um, isn't, it's, it's not as bad now as what it was when it first came out. Of your patients who have tested positive for the disease and thankfully survived, have you seen any lingering effects? We hear about all kinds of things. There, there is one, one patient that I have who still has yet to retain her sense of smell, but um, I, I, I personally haven't had as many um, long-term issues with, with my patients who have had it. And of course, long-term at this point is really only a few months, so we could be waiting a while to see things. Yeah. I mean, clearly you can have scar tissue you, you can in the lungs. You can have other uh, signs and other problems with the coronavirus, and time will help us um, figure out exactly what happens with people. What's the most common worry that people are bringing to you during appointments right now? There's a lot of anxiety about coronavirus, and I spend time or I try to spend time educating people with it. The biggest thing that people need to realize is clearly you can get infected from people who don't know they're sick and don't have symptoms. So the other thing that I try to counsel them is wearing masks, social distancing, washing hands. It really, really works. If they only do that around sick people, though, it's not effective. If everybody in Pima County washes their hands, uses a mask, and, and stays away from people, this, this, will, this will go away. Um, it really will. How has your practice changed since this pandemic began? We are doing fewer health maintenance uh, visits than what we did before. We are doing a lot more telehealth visits, and that's been very helpful. Uh, clearly, the risk of transmission of coronavirus with, with telehealth visits is uh, zero. Um, if someone has coronavirus or we think they have coronavirus, we're actually testing them out, outside the office. Uh, of course, all our employees are masked and uh, we do other things to try to decrease tr transmission here. I'm, I'm seeing fewer people, but uh, that's okay. Uh, interestingly as well, I'm seeing a lot fewer coughs and colds than what I used to. Uh, the amount of pneumonias and bronchitis that I've diagnosed is much less than what it usually is. So I would really, you know, re remind people that wearing masks, not only does it help prevent them from having coronavirus, it helps them prevent, prevent them from having a lot of other issues. When it comes to people who have appointments, uh, I've talked to some folks out in the public say, oh, I don't want to go to my doctor for an appointment because there are sick people there and I'm not sick right now. Uh, is that a valid concern for people? It can be if the, prevent if the visit is only preventative and not something necessary. But if someone is sick, it's much better that they come to us than have them go to the emergency room. And if someone has chest pain or abdominal pain, and it's due to something more serious, a couple days delay can be really um, a problem. So if they're feeling sick, telehealth visits may be helpful, but sometimes we have to bring people into the office. And let's do everything we can to help 
keep people out of the hospital now. It sounds like the number one takeaway from this is wash your hands, wear a mask, stay away from people as much as you can. Is that the number one piece of advice for folks? That, but I would also really make everyone understand that clearly you can get infected from people without any symptoms who don't know they have it. That's where most of these transmissions are coming from. So you really have to do with everybody. And until everybody in Pima County does this stuff, you know, I think it's going to stick around. Uh, physicians in the medical community are getting burned out. Um, we're, we're, we're at capacity now. Um, this is not something that, that we can, that we should need to handle for much longer when it's, it's preventable. A lot of people just don't really seem to understand how, how bad it is. If they really understood what, what was happening, you know, the, the uh, morgues filling up and, and moving dead bodies around and, and things, th things like that that are happening behind the scenes, I think more people would, would, would take this seriously. Um, I, I applaud the, the efforts of uh, Chuck Huckleberry and some of the other leaders in, in uh, Tucson and Pima County about trying to decrease the transmission. Uh, personally, I don't think it goes far enough. If you were Chuck Huckleberry for a day or King for a day, uh, what would you put in place? I, I would put in some fines for people not, not wearing masks and businesses not uh, adhering to the, to the recommendations. I would shut down in-person in dining. There needs to be some, some kind of consequence to uh, poor behavior. Uh, it, it would help everybody. When it comes to the reopening of schools, we hear a lot of people saying, well, school-age children really don't get the disease um, and, and they don't pass it as easily, so therefore we should open schools. From your knowledge as a medical doctor, is that a valid argument? If you only look at the students, that may be a valid argument. It also depends on the prevalence of disease. However, that ignores the staff. It ignores the teachers. It ignores the teacher's aides. It ignores the other administration. It is important to look at their risk as well. And, and currently in Arizona, with a high prevalence, if you open up a school and you don't make the kids wear a mask, and, you, and if you don't make the kids wash, wash their hands and they start infecting teachers, um, we're going to have deaths. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. My pleasure. I hope this makes a difference. That was Roy Lowenstein, a local doctor with Arizona Community Physicians. And that's the buzz for this week. Remember, you can find all of our coronavirus coverage at news.azpm.org. You can also find all our episodes on the website. You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. And Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.